Well, good morning. It's great that everyone's here, and I thank Tony for opening the windows so that, uh, you know, after an hour or two of sermon, uh, it gets warm in here, so I want you all to stay with me, if you will. So, we're coming up on a great holiday for Christians, and... Um, You know, it's hard to rank the Christian holidays, isn't it? Christmas, Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation. God becomes man and dwells among us. That's a wonderful thing. Of course, Easter, we have the resurrection. If it weren't for the resurrection, there's no hope for any of us. But Thanksgiving is a time that we set aside to remember all the great things that God has blessed us with. I pray that you don't fall into the turkey day syndrome. The turkey day concept was invented by people that didn't want to acknowledge that all that they have is from God. And so they have to have something that they can call this celebration. So it's been referred to as a turkey. Turkey is an honorable animal, I'm sure, but doesn't probably deserve a holiday to be named after it. Uh, There's a certain popularity, I believe, in being negative, complaining, uh, finding something wrong. I think to a large degree, uh, at least in the last 20, 30 years, we've become a nation of complainers. And the church is not immune from this phenomena. And I know especially as uh, we get older, Uh, We can easily fill our minds with things that aren't right about the world, things that aren't right about my own body, uh, things that aren't going the way we had planned. So it's easy to be a complainer, and my hope that after our meditation this morning, we'll find it a bit less easy to fall into that trap of becoming a complainer. Our culture is, in fact, uh, if you listen to any of the modern speakers, I tend to want to listen to Dr. Al Mohler once a day. He has a blog that he speaks about, and he's constantly pointing to the rapid descent of our society. That the society is changing faster than anyone could have imagined it would. A rapid moral descent like we, we would have never thought could happen in this country especially, in, in the world in general. And I think as we fall into the fear of the future, as we fall into the concern for all that's going on, we can fall into this pit of being a complainer. We forget who it is that we are and how much we have to be grateful for. So let's take a day. Take a day this coming Thursday and dedicate that day to meditating on God's goodness and how thankful we should be for all the things that we would take for granted as God's blessing, especially, of course, being given a new heart and given the hope of eternity. Now, I want to give some advice this morning. A lot of us will be together with relatives that are not Christians. It's a traditional thing for families to gather together. Some are saved and some are not saved. And if you want to think of a great way to give a testimony, 
If you want to think of a great way around the table to change the whole attitude, it's to exhibit a thankful spirit. And you'll be amazed, and I would like you to conduct an experiment. Now, a lot of my family's with me today, so they'll see that I'm conducting this experiment, but just see what happens if you start out saying something positive, something that you're thankful for, and see how that spreads around the table. It's a practical way for us to give a testimony. Now, I've been meditating on this idea of thanklessness. Thanklessness. And I've come up with four fundamental or root causes to thanklessness. And you see, if uh, I'm not claiming that I have the exhaustive uh, analysis here. But I come up with four reasons that we're not thankful. First of all, we don't recognize the value of the gifts that we have. We don't recognize the value of these gifts. Secondly, it could be that we take those gifts for granted because we think we deserve them. Have you noticed this, parents, with your children? The more you provide for them, they kind of get used to that. And they take it for granted and assume that they deserve it. And that could be it. Perhaps it's that we think we deserve it. Third, maybe it's because we don't recognize our need. We don't recognize that we have a need, and so therefore the gift has diminishing value. We didn't really need it anyhow. And then finally, it could be that we don't hold the giver of these gifts in high esteem. Now, there may be other root causes to thanklessness, but I think those would capture at least the main idea. So I have a a simple three-point outline. Firstly, I want to talk about thanklessness as a character of unbelief. Second, the biblical idea of being thankful as an indication of God's work in us. And then third, I want to talk about the blessed fruit that a thankful spirit bears, the fruit that it bears to be thankful in peace of mind and heart, endurance, Christ-likeness, protection from the evil one, and an enhanced worship. So let's talk about the first one, thanklessness, as a characteristic of unbelief. Well, I would ask that you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, because here we have the manual that talks about thanklessness in the world. And if we start reading in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory 
of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. You read that passage, and it doesn't take a wild imagination to place that passage in the midst of our culture, as this is what's going on around us. You know, I always love the psalm, Psalm 19. You know the psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. There's enough evidence all around us for everyone to acknowledge that there's a God. And if, you know, you think about it, and as Christians especially, and we see the creative handiwork of God, not only in the skies and in the universe and in the planetary systems, but even in the smallest things that we study on the earth. And the more we study them, the more we glorify God at His wonderful creative handiwork. And yet, the same person can sit next to you in the lab bench and not see it. Why is that? Well, I think it says right here that God has given their, darkened their minds because they have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man. Now, when I think about these kinds of things, I think about what uh, Mr. Steve talked about last week to the children. Remember, this is a quiz now. Everybody who's 12 and under, uh, let's make eye contact here. Do you remember what Mr. Steve talked about last week? He said that all things come from God. Remember, he kept holding up the sign. You know, repetition helps us to remember. That was Acts chapter 17, verse 25. I always think about that wonderful doxology in Romans chapter 11. Towards the end of the chapter, verse 36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Now when the world sees the handiwork of God all around us, they don't acknowledge God. They don't acknowledge God. They have a theory a theory that there was this big explosion millions of years ago and out came what you see today. And those of us that believe in the creative handiwork of God, we step back and we think about that theory and we wonder how you could come up with that and how much faith it requires to believe it. But their minds are darkened. And the curse on this generation is that they have become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. And the saddest commentary actually is in the next verse in this Romans passage, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. That's a sad commentary. When God gives them up. You think about that for a minute, there's no hope. If God gives someone up, there's no hope. There's no hope. Now, an unthankful heart who sees all these wonderful things and yet will not acknowledge God is a demonstration of unbelief. And we see the root of pride demonstrated in the unthankful heart. And that's my thesis this morning. And it could be, as I said earlier, 
that we think so highly of ourselves that we believe that we deserve the gifts that we just received, the gifts of family, the gifts of health, the gifts of uh, prosperity, food, all these good things, home, because we deserve it. I think those of us that grew up around the time that I did, uh, parents uh, were busy establishing life and they they didn't have a lot of time to nurture their children. So then we grew up with the idea that we're going nur- to we're going to make up for our parents and we're going to tell our children how special they are. And the problem is a lot of them have believed it. They deserve these things. And so what it does is it generates an unthankful heart. We expect everything to go our way. And think about this for a minute. Whenever we're sick or whenever something happens to us, our job is in uh, jeopardy. We think this is abnormal and, hey, hey, wait a minute. This is not what I deserve. I deserve things to go the way I'd like them to go. And it's just not real. And I said, secondly, it could be that we don't understand our real need. We don't understand our real need. Now, I want to tell a little story here to the kids about me. When I was about third grade, now, I had this wonderful aunt. Her name is Dorothy, Aunt Dorothy, and she was a married woman, no children. So she used to shower us kids with gifts because my parents didn't have a lot of money. And like most kids my age, and those of you that are roughly my age, you can identify this. When I was in third grade, I wanted more than anything to be a cowboy. Now kids, today you probably don't think much of cowboys, but back in then we thought cowboys were the thing to do. You wanted to be a cowboy. And you walked around with your hat and whatever paraphernalia you could accumulate to make people think that you were a cowboy. Well, I wanted in the worst way for Christmas a two-gun holster with six guns. All right? And I really wanted that and I think made it known to my adult authority over me. I really wanted that two-gun holster for Christmas. And my parents didn't wrap gifts and all that jazz, but my aunt did. And she came and placed a box underneath our Christmas tree that I was convinced was the perfect shape and size for two six-guns and a holster. You know, the kind with bullets that you would slip in the back. Um, I really, you know, as a, as a third grader, this is what I really wanted more than anything. And comes Christmas Day, and you know, I'm doing a dive off the high board into that box first. And I open it up, and get, it was a coat. <laughs> now, in reality, I didn't have a warm winter coat that year. And I really needed a warm winter coat, but what I wanted was a two-gun holster with guns. Pretend guns. I was nonviolent back then. <laughs> In a lot of cases, that's where we find ourselves. There's things that we want and things that we need. 
And they may be different from one another. So the things that I wanted were worthless. But in reality, the thing that I needed was worth a lot. But I didn't think that way. My thinking was under top, top under the bottom and bottom under the, over the top. And so I didn't really value that coat until... The first day back at school, we had one of those classic early 50s, minus two degrees to get in the school bus. No, I didn't walk to school both ways uphill back then, but I had a school bus. They, they, you know, fixed up an old Model A. But anyways, I needed that coat that day, and I was grateful for it finally because I saw the realization of what I really needed. And that's the case. In a lot of cases, we don't, Understand what we need. And therefore we desire other things that are not for our good. Now the third reason, again, is could be that we don't value the gift because we don't value the giver. We don't appreciate, we don't value the gift because we don't hold the giver in high esteem at all. And again, kids, I want you to use your imagination for a minute. That shouldn't be too hard. Now, imagine that you're acquainted with somebody who's very famous, very powerful individual. It may be a sports icon or someone like that. And you just received notice that they're going to be coming to your house. And they're going to come to your house with a gift. Now, Back in those days, my hero was Roy Rogers. If you've never heard of Roy Rogers, just pretend for a minute that you know who Roy Rogers was. Roy Rogers was the cowboy of cowboys. He was my hero. Eight o'clock Saturday morning, I was parked in front of that black and white wooden box to watch Roy Rogers and his sidekick do their thing, which was wonderful. Now imagine that I was told as a third grader that Roy Rogers was coming to my house. And as so coming, he was going to give me his own holster and two six-guns. This is it. This is great. Now, I've got to ask you a question. Do you think that anybody could have pried that holster off of my hip? No way. Because this was my hero. It meant everything to me that Roy Rogers, the great Roy Rogers, was going to come and acknowledge me and give me his own holster and guns. There was no way that I would be parted with that. Now, listen, if you don't know who Roy Rogers is, never heard of it, don't really care much about cowboys, um, you never had a hankering, to be a cowboy, and you didn't give a hoot about this gift, this wouldn't mean anything to you, would it? It wouldn't mean a thing. Well, the same is true for those that don't know Jesus. Those that don't know Jesus. There's no sense of need. There's no sense of value. And there's certainly no sense of thanksgiving. No sense of thanksgiving. So this morning we come to our text in Colossians. 
And I just want to put this text a little bit into the context. And those of you that have studied Colossians, and you remember a couple of years ago, we did a whole series just out of a few verses. I don't know, Ed, how many sermons we ended up doing out of Colossians, but it was a bunch. Because Colossians is a book that is replete with rich theological information about Christ. But the context of this book, it was written to the church at Colossae and Laodicea, which was only about nine miles away, because there was a real big problem in that church, a huge problem in that church. And in fact, they had been receiving horrifically bad teaching, which had opened up to them all kinds of errors in their thinking about how to serve God, how to worship God, what was important, what was not important. These, uh, the Greek philosophical uh, school of Gnosticism had been synthesized into the Christian teachings of that day in this church. And Gnostics were teaching that uh, to be really holy, to be a really up there in your Christian experience, you need to deny the flesh. It's called asceticism. You need to put the flesh aside. The flesh is evil. All flesh is evil. All things of this world are evil, so deny them. There's certain foods you shouldn't eat. There's certain things you shouldn't do. There's certain things that you should do. And all of that would lead them to a deeper level of experience with Christ. So this Gnosticism had been integrated tightly with the truth. The idea of mystical understanding and a deeper level of experience was permeating the teaching there. And this is true. It's been true through the ages. Someone will always come along and they'll say, if you do these things, you'll have a more holy experience or you'll be deeper in bed Uh, embedded in Christ. If If you're careful and you listen, you can hear it today. If you listen very carefully, you can hear the speeches, the sermons, the teaching of these folks today. Just follow these steps and you'll have a deeper relationship with God. And they emphasize the mystery. And they emphasize the experience and the feeling in worship. If you only do this certain form, if you have these certain kind of hymns or certain kinds of music, then you'll experience a deeper walk with Christ. And that was the reason for this book. That was why Paul says uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul, probably in prison at this time, was writing and he wanted them to know that he was wrestling. The idea of struggle here is wrestling. And if, Josh, have you wrestled? Never wrestled. Okay. If you've ever wrestled, you know what agony it is to wrestle and how you have to endure and hang in there. It's only six minutes in high school, but believe me, it's a tough six minutes. 
Paul was wrestling for uh, the church there at Colossae and Laodicea. And he says this in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And the idea that he's putting forth here is the way for you to strengthen yourself is just like one of my wife's quilts. When, when you take all the threads and you knit them together, you take an individual weak thread, but you knit it together with other threads, and what you have is a cable. Strength. And he says you need to be knit together and you need to be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And you see, this is great. What Paul's doing is he's throwing the language of the Gnostics right back at them so that they would hear these things and they'd say, oh, I get it. The the best way for us to have a deeper experience is to be knit together in love as individuals come together in the body of Christ and we're together and we're bound together and we're made strong in love. And that will lead us us to a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then he continues on in verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And again, the same idea that the Gnostics were teaching there. Is that you want this wisdom. You want this special knowledge. It's all right there in Christ. You don't have to go into some formal ritualistic search for the mystery which is unknown to most. In fact, what it is is the mystery that God has held out to the ages is Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. And Paul's saying... Stop looking over here. Look up there. Look at Jesus, the mystery, which is Christ. Now, he says right very plainly in verse 4 why he's saying all of this. Look at verse 4 of Colossians 2. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, he's saying these arguments, they sound like they make sense. This teaching that you've been receiving, boy, it sounds like it's real wisdom. It's plausible. But Paul's saying, don't listen to them. Look at Christ. Look at Christ. And verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now he wraps up this argument in verse 6. Therefore, you see the therefore... Therefore is therefore a reason, right? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Now, that sounds pretty mystical. Walk. This is what Brian was talking about in the adult Sunday school class today. Walk. Go forth. It's not mystical. Put your eyes on Jesus and walk. Walk. In Him. Now, how are we to walk in Him? Well, he says three things in verse 7. Rooted in Him. Rooted in Christ. What does it mean to be rooted in Christ? Those of you that are gardeners, you know what it is to be rooted. 
When you plant something, if it doesn't take root, it doesn't grow. Rooted in Christ. Rooted. Stabilized. You think of a sailboat. The keel is down there for a purpose. It's to keep the sailboat from flipping over on itself. The stabilizer that we have is Christ Jesus. Now, some, some folks demonstrate their Christian experience like this. For the technical people here, that's a sine wave. But it's also the Christian experience of many. We're not rooted. They're not stable. They go with their emotions. I feel like a Christian today. I'm going to be a Christian. Tomorrow I don't feel like a Christian. I'm not going to be a Christian. They're not rooted in Christ. Secondly, he says in this very same verse, built up. Built up in Christ. Jesus is our strengthener. He's also our stabilization. He's our strengthener. In Christ we can do all things. We can do all things. Can I do all things because of the strength of my character? No. I'm the kid that thought holster and six-gun, cap pistols, were more important than a winter coat. It's not somebody you would want to follow. Built up in him, he is, he is our strengthener. Thirdly, he says we're established in the faith, just as we were taught. Established. He is our preservation. He is our keeping power as Christians. We're established in the faith. There's a sense of firmness in the faith as we follow the teachings of Christ. Established in the faith. Just as you were taught. And then look at this. Look at the last part of verse 7. Abounding in thanksgiving. The result of all of these things being rooted in Christ, being built up in Christ, being established in Christ is a thankful heart. It's the only natural response. It's as natural as a baby who wants milk. Brian and Tricia just had a new grandson, by the way, in case you hadn't heard that. Um, I actually, our granddaughter, our newest granddaughter, the one that lives in California, is a month old yesterday. I was thinking how I could put a picture in the sermon of our granddaughter up there, you know. But we're thankful for that. And you're thankful for your new grandson. We're thankful for these things because we're rooted in Christ. We're established in Christ, and we're built up in Christ. It's a natural response to the things of this world that happen to us, and moreover, to the things in the next world which will happen to us. The promise of eternity that we shall participate in if we follow Him. So, this is a sign, it's an indication of being in Christ. And I want to make a statement here which may get me in trouble. This, as I said, is the only appropriate response for what he has done. I don't think it's incorrect to say that there is no such thing as an unthankful Christian. Now, can we fall into periods of unthankfulness? Yes, absolutely. 
We do. Every day, probably. But as a pattern of life, if we find that our spirits are more of a complaining nature, more of a find the thing that's wrong and talk about it nature, I question whether we have the Holy Spirit. We need to be thankful. That's the normal, normal response to the things that we've just talked about. Now, look over at Colossians chapter 3. Just to continue this idea of a biblical idea of thanksgiving. And we had John read uh, a large, that portion of verse 12 through. But earlier on in chapter 3, Paul's dealing with uh, putting off the old man putting off the things of the old man, and then putting on the new man. This idea of following in Christ's pattern. Putting on the new self. In verses 10 through 17, we deal with this whole idea of putting on. And he starts out in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. That's an amazing verse right there. Uh, Scott, you brought that to our attention yesterday morning. And uh, I'd been studying that passage. The idea of bearing with one another. Uh, it requires much more than I can give it this morning. But if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. The way we continue, the way we strengthen, the way those fibers come together as a cable is by bearing with one another and forgiving one another and being built up together in love. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, the idea of verse 1 of chapter 2. He's just being reiterative. He's repeating and repeating and repeating these same things. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You see, this be thankful completes all the things before that. It's incomplete in us if we exercise all of those things, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, being built up together with one another, we will be thankful. It's impossible not to be. It's impossible not to be. It completes the verse, and be thankful. Then look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, like we just did this morning. We're singing together as part of being built up together. And as a result of that, as a result of being built up and admonishing one another, singing together with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, when you were singing this morning, singing the hymns, weren't there times when you sing the hymns? I mean, I love the Getty hymns in particular, but that thankfulness comes up in your heart? Or are you just singing a song? As we sing together, as we're built up together, thankfulness completes the action. We're completed in thankfulness to God. 
And then verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're completed with thanksgiving. So the positive imperatives in each of these passages is completed. Each verse is completed with thanksgiving. And when we engage in prayerful thanksgiving, consider who it is that has blessed us this way. And I was thinking a lot, meditating a lot about our sister, Maria. And I was trying to put myself in her position. And trying to say, I need to be thankful. I need to be thankful. How can I be thankful at a time like that? I think we need to think of God the following ways. First of all, the love of God. The love of God. When we go to God in prayerful thanksgiving, consider we are talking to a God of love who has adopted us as His children into His family if we're believers. We think of the love of God. God loves me. He's not out to get me. Secondly, think of the wisdom of God. The God that we worship and that we're thankful to is a God of wisdom. Talk about wisdom that we seek on our own by some manual mechanism. God is a wise God. He's a heavenly Father that loves me and He's wiser than I am. And think about the third attribute, the power of God. When we're praying and we're giving thanks to God, He loves me, He's a wise God, and He's an all-powerful God. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can happen to us apart from the care of an all-powerful God. Meditate on these attributes of God and I believe we'll be able to offer thanksgiving in a sincere heart in any situation that we find ourselves this side of glory. Now you may need to remind me of that uh, when it's my turn and my time because we'll all have them. We will all have them. We will all have situations that come upon us in our life that we don't understand and we don't like very much. Remind me. See, the verse that just went on a couple of verses ago, admonishing one another in love. I need you to admonish me when it's my time to question the love of God or the wisdom of God or the power of God. Remind me. No prayer like this is complete without thanksgiving. Let me repeat that. No prayer when we face things like this is complete without thanksgiving. No expression of love, no confession of sin, no supplication is ever complete without thanksgiving. Now how many of you know the little ACTS acronym? Really? Acts. Thank you, Steve. You get points, I guess, you know. 
Acts. When we go to prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Acts is the acronym that we should put in our minds. Acts. No prayer is complete without thanksgiving. Now let me let me rush on to the third part of this outline, and that is the blessed fruit of a thankful heart. The blessed fruit of a thankful heart. We see a principle established in the Scripture. The fruit of God's blessing is articulated in our offering of thanksgiving. But there is a personal benefit to be gained as we do this. There is a personal benefit. Many, in fact. And I've come up with six personal benefits to offering thanksgiving. You see, as we articulate these things with our mouth, we minister to our own hearts. Did you know that you can influence your heart? Did you know that you can counsel your heart? Look at the psalmist in Psalm 42 at some point when he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's ministering and talking to himself. And it's okay. I give you permission to talk to yourself. Nobody's going to report you if you talk to yourself. Counsel your own heart. And as we articulate thankfulness, and as our attitude turns from one of complaining and bitterness and strife to one of thanksgiving, it changes the nature of our thoughts and our heart. And the first benefit is a peaceful mind. A peaceful mind and heart. Now I'm going to have us looking at some passages here. We're not going to exegete each, each passage, but I want to bring them to your memory. Turn please to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians uh, chapter 4. A very familiar verse in 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? Hopefully, those of us that have been with Christ for more than a couple of years could quote the rest of the verse. It's the counselor's hammer and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the very first benefit or blessed fruit that we get from a thankful heart is peace. It's the opposite of being hmm, anxious. Are there times when Christians get anxious? Oh yeah, there are. But that's where we turn on the mind, remember a passage like this, and say, you notice how this is, is the sharp contrast. In verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And the contrast then is, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the best anti-anxiety medication we could take. Meditate on those attributes 
that we talked about a second ago. The love of God, the wisdom of God, and the power of God. All right. Second benefit. Steadfastness in faith. And that's right in the text that we looked at. Steadfastness or perseverance. You know, when I was first... uh, well, when I was first in the Reformed Church and I heard about perseverance, saying the word made me tired. Um, doesn't it make it to persevere? You know, it sounds like you're in slow motion, one of those dreams where you're trying to run. Anyway, look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Built up in him. I'm uh, rooted, built up, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This idea of being established. As we go through times where we're turning to Christ, as we go through times where we're, we don't understand what's going on in our life, and we turn to Christ, as it said in Philippians chapter 4, that one of the results of thanking God through these things is perseverance, that we learn that God got me through that thing in the past. He's going to get me through this thing in the future or in the present. It's good to go back and say, God got me through that. I don't know how he got me through that, but he did get me through that. And he'll get me through this. I trust in him. I thank God for his providence. And we see it again in uh, chapter 4 of Colossians. And right in the verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And this whole idea, again, is steadfastness. That's what we want as believers. We want to be steadfast. We don't want to be those that start and stop and start and stop and start and stop and up and down. We want to be steadfast. And it's one of the blessings of a thankful spirit. Third is Christ-likeness or sanctification. Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And again, we're just... Flying through the treetops here, um, not exegeting. There's wonderful riches in these passages if you want to study them in depth. But in particular, look at verse 4. You want to be like Christ. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. You see, we ought to be like Christ. In fact, that's the whole message in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. We want to be like Christ. One of the blessings of thanksgiving, one one of the blessings of being able to thank God as it says here, but instead of all the other things, and this is something that you may find at your at the next gathering, or maybe it's at the fire hall, you, you know, when you're surrounded by folks that don't necessarily know Jesus. And there's a negative and there's a complaining and a sort of a bitter spirit. And you throw out there something that you're thankful for. You'd be amazed at the impact. Even if somebody wants to complain after that, they feel bad about it. And that's good. Because instead of having a complaining and a negative um, or an impure spirit... Instead, verse 4 says, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. So Christ-likeness. Fourth, 
gratitude and expressing thanksgiving builds peace in the assembly. We talked about that a little bit already in our Colossians passage. But it builds peace in the assembly. If our speech includes thanksgiving, others will be blessed and not hindered. Now, there's a passage or two in 2 Corinthians that I'd like you to take a quick look at. 2 Corinthians, and please take a look at uh, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and look specifically at verse 15. But let me start by reading verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the effect of speaking in thankful terminology. It spreads to the assembly. The assembly follows It's amazing the effect that it will have as we speak in thankful terms. How it influences those, and it makes for peace of those that are around us. Just turn a couple pages back in 2 Corinthians and look at chapter 9 and verse 11 and 12. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. Now he's talking in the context of the gift that... Paul was collecting for the poor and needy saints in Jerusalem. But he says, For all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is the byproduct. Even as we give to the needy, it over, we, over, we multiply. We increase. It enlarges thanksgivings to God, which is a good thing. It builds for peace in the assembly. It's impossible when we're thankful for for what we have, for jealousy to become a problem in the church. We won't begrudge somebody uh, if they have something that's uh, a better car or a better home or better clothes. We, We can't. If we're thankful. It's impossible. It puts a collar on it and strangles it to death. Jealousy and strife in the brother. Brotherhood. Fifthly, protection from, from our enemy. And I wish I had time. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Now, what Paul's dealing with in Colossae is this issue with Gnosticism being introduced. And uh, this idea of people chasing after mystery and chasing after a deeper, uh, fuller understanding and, and wisdom. And he says in verse 4 of chapter 2, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Okay, so the wisdom of man is plausible. And it's easy to fall into it. But look at verse 8. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. That's verse 6. 
rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, verse 8, that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I will tell you something about a thankful spirit, and especially a thankful prayer closet. We have an enemy who hates it when we're in the midst of trial and thank God. We have an enemy that will throw everything in the kitchen, everything in the drawer, everything in our memories, everything in our friends at us to get us to stop thanking God. And this enemy will would love to have us chasing off mystery and the pursuit of, of some hidden knowledge which isn't there so that we don't chase after Christ. He wants to substitute false gods in our pursuit of godliness. And the enemy hates it when we thank God. And the benefit, in, and I would refer you to a wonderful sermon by Brother John Piper that he did on this passage and said that this is the mightiest defense against the attacks of Satan. It's to be thankful to God. To be thankful to God. Protection from the enemy. The mechanism to be employed is abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. That means overflowing. Kind of like a 4th of July Roman candle. Overflowing with thanksgiving. That is a protection from the enemy. And finally, the blessing of enhanced worship. The blessing of enhanced worship. Now, do you know... I want to give you some prophecy about what it's going to be like in heaven. In the book of Revelation... In the fourth chapter, in the ninth verse, it says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, and God to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Verse 9 tells us that those that are surrounding the throne are thanking God forever. We will impact the natures of our own hearts by being thankful. This is... Uh, a secret that we're being led in on. We, wanna, we, want, we want to think positive thoughts. We want to look forward to glorifying God. Be thankful. And it will enhance our worship before God. Same thing is said in Revelation chapter 7. And down here in verse 12. In verse 11 it says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces 
and worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. It'll enhance our worship. This is what you're going to be doing for eternity, is thanking the Lord. So this coming Thursday, I admonish you as a brother in Christ, when you sit down with loved ones and family, just take some time to meditate on God's bounty and the blessings in which he has blessed us with. Not just the food, not just the family, not just the homes that we live in and the cars that we drive, but moreover, the righteous standing that we have before God the Father. Christ is our righteousness. Our sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future. We've been cleansed by His blood. It's an amazing blessing. And we're at peace with God as a result. God is no longer our enemy. God is no longer against us. He is for us. He loves us. He's all-wise. And He's all-powerful. Look forward to your inheritance, saints. Let's pray. Father, thank You for a day that we can set aside and say thank You. Lord, we are blessed beyond measure. We're grateful for Your kindness, for Your attention to all of our needs. In Jesus' name we thank You. Amen. Gotta pray longer, Al. That's all stay.
God bless you all. You are dismissed.